Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spirit Rock this morning. My name is Romy. I'm happy to see you all this morning. I'm an event coordinator. And if you have any questions at all throughout the day, I'll be in the office outside. I'm happy to answer them for you. Although we have many wonderful volunteers, most of them are still outside volunteering, but they have name tags on. And if you have any questions, you're welcome to ask them. So, let's see, who is new to Spirit Rock today? So I know, excellent, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you all for being here. So these announcements are mainly for you to help the day go more smoothly for you. Um, First, before we start, CE people. People today can get five 0.5 CE credits, and many of you have asked for those today, so you should have all signed in outside. If you would like CE credits today or did not sign in and receive your survey, I'm going to ask you to go outside and see Jim, and he can uh, give you a survey and get you signed in. Don't forget at the end of the day to sign out, please. And now it is time to turn off our cell phones. So lovely when we do that for the day, and most of us don't have service here anyway. So cell phones off. If you would like an assisted hearing device, they're in the back of the room. You're welcome to pick one up. We we do allow drinking liquid in this room. Uh, We ask for you to cover your tea, and it looks like all of you have lids. That's most excellent. We have snacks outside and a self-serve bookstore, and Mark's books are there today, so if you would like to... Um, browse the bookstore. It's at the end of the hall uh, by the restrooms. Today for lunch, it's a gorgeous day. You're welcome to eat outside. We have picnic tables in the meadow. We're going to stay downstairs today, however, because there's an event upstairs, and they may be silent. I'm not quite sure, but we'll stay downstairs today. Um, If you do go into the meadow for lunch, would you look for ticks when you come back into the room? So just Look at your pant legs and socks and make sure that there are no ticks crawling on you. That would be really appreciated. If you did not bring a lunch today, we have Woodacre Deli across Sir Francis Drake, and I can give you directions over there. So we'll ring a bell when it's time to come back into the hall. But I did, as I mentioned, there is an event upstairs, so they're also they will also be ringing bells. So you may... Don't be confused. There's a clock at the end of the hall if your cell phone is off. At the back of the hall if you need the clock. And there's a retreat. There's a silent retreat happening up the hill. So you're welcome to walk up a little bit. The gratitude hut is to the left of the road. You're welcome to go in there. But then there's a wood gate, and it says residential retreatants only. So we'd love for you to turn around there and come back down today at lunchtime. And um, this afternoon, you'll receive a survey in your email box at home. And if you have time in the next three days or so to fill out the survey, we really appreciate your comments, and we do look at all of them. So thank you again for being here. I'll now introduce our teacher, Mark Coleman. Mark is on the Teachers Council here at Spirit Rock and does many, many retreats here, and including the very popular Meditation in Nature Retreat. And we have one coming up in September, September 28th. Mm -hmm. Opening to Joy and Peace in Nature. Um, 
Mark is also an author and has written Awake in the Wild and Make Peace with Your Mind. And we have both of those books in the bookstore. And also, Mark will be here Monday night, but not this Monday night. You will be here August 6th. Okay, so August 6th at 7.15, you're welcome to come out on Monday. Uh, You just drop in, and Mark will be talking, giving a Dharma talk and meditation on the 6th of August. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for being here. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you, Romy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Beautiful day. Beautiful day to practice. Thanks for coming out on uh, Saturday to take some time to slow down, unplug, look within, explore your inner worlds versus the outer worlds that you're living in. So how many of you... um, this is your first day of meditation, where you day-long retreat. Okay, a few of you. Most of you have done a bunch. How many of you sat silent residential retreats? Okay, good, most of you. Okay. So the theme today... Uh, the, the, the sort of the quintessence of the theme is the cultivation of loving awareness or the integration of our heartfulness and uh, presence, awareness. And to me, in my uh, journey in this practice, I've been on this path for 30-some years and... Um, these two qualities, the the integration of these two qualities seem to be the quintessence of both the path and what's needed in the path and also the fruit of the path. That we need mindfulness, this capacity to be aware, to be present, to know, to understand, to see, uh, to know with clarity what's what. And we also need to meet that with a quality of care, a quality of kindness, a quality of warmth or friendliness or love. Because as we know, a lot of what we meet in this journey and in this life is not easy. Not easy to be an awake human being with a sensitive heart and nervous system and an attuned body that is feeling and impressionable to all kinds of things, both beauty and the joy of summer and also the sorrow of loss and political madness, to name a few things. Um, so, So life constantly challenges us to... Uh, or invites us, another way of putting it, to see how we can meet this, this moment, this body, this heart, this person, this heartbreak, this physical pain, this loss, with meeting all of it, with kindness, with presence, with curiosity, and also seeing how we uh, make matters worse by our 
refusing to accept reality, by our fighting with it, by our hating it, by our judging it, by our resisting it, by complaining about it, which is easy to do, it's very human to do all that. But, you know, the, the invitation of this practice is learning to abide. The Buddha said this path leads to an, an unconditioned sense of freedom. Unconditioned as in not so tossed around by the circumstances and the vicissitudes of your life. Right? Which sometimes seems impossible. Sounds like a nice idea. How do we stay unconditionally present and non-reactive in the face of, you know, political turmoil, physical challenges, relationship dramas, loss? Not easy. And so we can look at ourselves, we can look at our life, we can look at uh, practice and, and ask ourselves honestly how do we how do we show up how do we meet life moment to moment day to day how do we show up right now however you're feeling I'm jet lagged I came in from England a few days ago a little tired a little foggy um, and that's just part of traveling and I travel a lot for my work so I'm used to it don't like it don't want it here it is <laughs> Caffeine is required. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like so. You know, I was just chatting with a student. I just finished a mindfulness teacher training in Europe. And uh, she wasn't able to come because she had a, um, tumor di- a tumor detected and she was waiting the results. And the doctor told her to stay home. She's from Poland. And um turns out the tumor's benign. But that was interesting just talking to her about that threat. You know, breast cancer, very common. And, you know, a huge amount of relief and uh, joy, actually, at the diagnosis. But also talking about how, you know, that that diagnosis or the, uh, the original detection of the tumor, you know, brings in a lot of fear, a lot of terror sometimes, or not, depending on how we meet it. Right? And we never know until we get something like that diagnosis how we will do. But uh, the likelihood is if we train our minds and hearts to work with circumstances so we can find a sense of wisdom in the face of it, it's more likely we're going to have a little more capacity, more presence to be with that. So the, the theme of the day is summarized by one of my favorite quotes from a teacher from China, the sixth Zen patriarch. Anyway, he says, do not say that awareness and kindness are separate. One cannot arise without the other. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. Awareness. 
And this is a very profound inquiry into life. What does that mean? Awareness, right? this ability to know, to attend, to be cognizant. How is that the foundation of kindness? And how is that very uh, kindness the expression of awareness? So we'll look at that theme today. We'll look at these two qualities, not separate in my book. They're, They're really two sides of the same coin or two facets interwoven with each other, right? To become kind requires a certain amount of presence to know experience and know ourselves and to know another. And yeah, and when we know, when we see clearly, one of the natural fruits of that is warmth, is tenderness, is a sense of empathy, connection, shared vulnerability. Etc. This is a way of talking about it. This is from the writer Henry Miller. He said, I remember well the transformation which took place in me when I first began to view the world with the eyes of a painter. The most familiar things and objects which I gazed at all my life now became an unending source of wonder, and with wonder, of course, affection. A teapot, an old hammer, a chipped cup, whatever came to hand, I looked upon it as if I had never seen it before. To paint is to love again, to live again, and to see again. And I would say the same is true with mindfulness. With mindfulness is to love, is to see again, to live again, and to love again. We tend to move through life on a certain range of autopilot. The older we get, the more that we go on autopilot because we're familiar with experience. Familiarity breeds um, uh, disconnection, can do. And with that, a certain loss of aliveness, intimacy, But when we snap out of that into presence, present moment awareness, connection, there's a certain aliveness kindles, a certain appreciation. You know, and as he says, for for a chipped cup. You know, I remember being on retreats and you know being in that lovely, quiet quality of presence and awareness and embodiment, and looking at you know, a teacup and feeling love for it or a fork, feeling the beauty of its isness, of its uniqueness. So we have access to these qualities, but it does require a certain orientation, a certain training of our hearts and minds, which is why we have retreats like this to really just remind us, it's not like we don't know how to do this. Right? It's not rocket science to be present, to be aware, to slow down, to feel your breath, to notice the wind blowing the grasses, to take in another person, to feel our hearts, to 
be kind to uh, suffering. And this is not, some, not anything we don't know and haven't done before. But in the busyness and the fast-pacedness and the external orientation of our lives, that's generally not what we give priority to. What we give priority to is, you know, our to-do list and work and chores and responsibilities and roles and family and all that, which can have within that a lot of awareness and kindness. But it may not be the orienting principle. The Buddha, in his framing of, of what, you know, what distinguished someone, you could say, when they really took this practice to heart, is they went for refuge. They went for refuge to what he called the three jewels. To the jewel of awareness and awakening, to the jewel of meeting the truth of experience, and the jewel of community. Of, of understanding we need others to support us in our journey. Because this way of being is what he called against the stream, against the norm of most life. Right? I used to be able to say, you know, you, you know, CNN is not preaching about mindfulness and compassion, but that's not quite true anymore because mindfulness is so much in the mainstream that it may, you may get some mindfulness on CNN these days, but mostly not. You know. Um, so, so on a day like this, we, we take refuge in, in awareness, in knowing, in being present to our experience. Being present to the truth of what's here. So we'll be cultivating various meditation practices that are really oriented to simply meeting what is. And, um, you know, Dharma is the Buddhist word for that, which literally means the natural laws or the way things are. We don't usually want to fully acknowledge or accept what is. So we, we, we either don't see it clearly or we resist it and don't see it clearly. We're fighting with it and causing suffering for ourselves. So the reason I, I, I like to teach this theme is, as I just mentioned earlier, that so much of what we're having to be with in life is not really what we want. You know, the Buddha's one of the definitions of unsatisfactoriness of the human condition is not getting what we want and getting what we don't want. Right? And that's a daily experience. Right? How many things do you, we not get every day? How many things do we get what we don't want? Whether it's back pain or a partner being grumpy or you know, hearing about some political drama that we really, really would not like to have. Um, so... But the more that we can invite that quality of friendliness, warmth, metta, loving kindness, the more likely we are to actually not go through life with so much reactivity. And for the Buddha, reactivity was, was the primary cause of our mental and emotional, psychological suffering.
And we'll get to see that in meditation. You know, in our meditations, we get to see that same attitude that we might bring to life, we bring to our meditations, to our mind, to our bodies, to our hearts. How much of the time is your awareness or meditation or mindfulness, how much does it have an edge? Does it have an agenda? I'll meditate as long as it feels good. I'll be with the pain as long as it goes away. I'll be with my sadness as long as I can transform it into joy. Right? So there's many ways that we have you know, natural preferences that usually turn into demands and insistences and controlling and manipulating. Right? Again, all very natural. But the invitation is, can I you know, because of that reactivity, we're, we're unable to see clearly. Without being, without being able to see clearly, we don't understand. Without understanding, we can't really see what's causing our unhappiness. Anybody want to be happy here? <laughs> right? And of course, we all have moments or periods of, of that, right? And yet, it doesn't seem to sustain itself. And that might be an interesting question to hold. What is it, why is it that happiness doesn't sustain itself? What interferes with well abiding in well-being? And this could be one of our reflections today. What interferes, right? Here we are at Spirit Rock. Got nothing to do today. No chores. Your cell phone doesn't work. You know, your lunch is here. You're with nice people. It's beautiful. What is, you know, what interrupts a sense of peace or a sense of ease, a sense of well-being? What is it that you don't want to be with today? What is it you might be judging or resisting or rejecting or pushing away? And it may not be quite what's here in the moment, but plenty of things that are sort of, uh, you know, intruding from our life, which they will, all the various things that we're preoccupied in, our relationships and our work and our family and, you know, those things will arise. And notice how you meet that, how you, how that, how you work with that. It's a beautiful piece of writing that I, I quote a lot from uh, this uh, Zen teacher, Jan Chosen Bays, and uh, she's talking about uh, this capacity to meet experience as it is. And she writes, in this passing moment, all things come to be. And I vow as a Zen practice to vow in, term, in your practice, I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. If there is pain, I choose to feel. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. 
what I shoulder I choose to bear. When it's my death I choose to die, where this takes me I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. So out of this integration of awareness, kindness, this ability to meet, to know, receive what is, it allows a certain skillful responsiveness. So we don't just, you know, often meditation and mindfulness gets criticized for being passive. This is not a passive practice. But the meditation work is the foundation of learning to build this principle of radical acceptance of meeting and allowing and knowing what is and seeing what we do to experience that that compounds the difficulty of it. So you might, again, another reflection. What do you add? How, what do you add to experience that makes it harder? What's the way that you meet experience that's unfriendly, unkind in yourself? And I think one of the, the sorry, my, my last book was a book about the inner critic. Anybody got one of those? Judging mind, voice. <laughs> should have done this, should have meditated better, should have gone to this course, not that course, should have gone to the beach today, not here, or whatever it is, you know. Whatever you do isn't quite right. Yeah, it's a little annoying, persistent, painful. And, um, you know, one of the, problems with that voice is that it doesn't let us be human. It doesn't let us have foibles. It's not okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to feel vulnerable or weak or to not know or to be confused or to be lost or you know all the very human things. And so this this integration of love and awareness allows us to meet our humanness with all of our foibles and idiosyncrasies and quirks and vulnerabilities and insecurities. Because if we don't meet all of that stuff with kindness, with presence, then it's just, you know, worse. <laughs> it's bad enough having insecurities and vulnerabilities and you know, stuff, right? So one of the, one of the, um, so, so I'm a mindfulness teacher. I also have ADD and I'm also very forgetful. So which is great ammunition for my inner critic because I lose stuff all the time. So I was hiking recently in the Dolomites in Northern Italy 
first day, I'm all keen to go out, and I hike a few miles up, probably 2,000 feet. And I realize, I'm looking around like, where's my hiking poles? Because <laughs> it started to get steep, I needed my poles. Oh, I left them back at the lodge. Okay, An extra five kilometers to get my <laughs> poles. Second day, I'm hiking up the hill again. I'm up, you know, quite steep ravine. And it starts to rain. I'm looking around for my raincoat. Oh, I left it in the lot. I left it in the drying room of the lodge. Another five kilometers. Right. That's great grounds for my critic to be hard on myself. Right. Mr. Mindfulness wins the day again, I usually say to myself. You know, so my way of silencing the critic. Oh, Mr. Mindfulness, here he is again. <laughs> he showed up. And then it's okay. It's like, okay, so you, you know, you forget stuff, you lose stuff, you misplace it. I have the, you know, those water bottles. Um, no, these, these things. Sippy cups. And um, I regard them as my dana to the world. Because I leave them everywhere. <laughs> so I just have a, you know, standing order with Amazon. <laughs> Comes in every few months, I get two more. It's like, oh well, I could try. I try. It's not, it's not like I'm trying to be unmindful. You know, but, you know, we all have our things. Mine is forgetful. Forgetfulness with stuff. Partly because I don't care that much. Like, if I lose it, whatever. Someone gets to have a sippy cup. Great. Spread the joy. So, so meeting our humanness. This is a poem from Robert Bly called People Like Us. He says, There are more like us, people all over the world, confused people who can't remember the name of their dog when they wake up, and people who love God but can't remember where he was when they went to sleep. It's all right. The world cleanses itself this way. A wrong number occurs to you in the middle of the night. You dial it. It rings just in time to save the house. And the second story man got the wrong address gets the wrong address where the insomniac lives and he's lonely and they walk and the thief goes back to college and even in graduate school you can wander into the wrong classroom and hear great poems lovingly spoken by the wrong professor and you find yourself. It's all all right. (laughs) Right? Life's like that. It's not clean and tidy. It's messy, complicated, difficult. And, you know, these practices in my experience have been really great, I can't imagine what I would do without mindfulness and without kindness, without that training, without forgiveness and self-love and um, knowing that we can start again in any moment, you know, re-find ourselves and see the, the truth in experience. So I'll close with this <coughs> piece from Archbishop Francoise Fenelon. And I love this because it also speaks to both the humanness and, and the power of awareness. So he's, he's using the reference to light, but the light is really awareness, mindfulness. He says, as the light increases, this is written in the 16th century, as the light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. Anybody notice that? When you meditate, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe what a mess in there. And those thoughts, they're so rude and mean and petty. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful feelings 
like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave in 16th century medieval Europe. We never could have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. While our faults diminish, the light by which we see them becomes brighter. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. We only perceive our malady when the cure begins. Right? It's, you know, as awareness grows, we see more of our stuff. Right? But that very awareness that revealed the stuff is also the very tool and doorway for its unfolding and, and freeing itself or un, uh, you know, understanding itself. We only perceive the malady when the cure begins. Right? So mindfulness, awareness, kicks up all kinds of stuff that we would rather not see. And often people say, God, I wish I could go back. I wish I hadn't started this awareness business. It's, you know, because I just, you know, you can't turn it off. Once you start seeing, you start seeing. You start seeing a lot in yourself, in others. And, and there is no going back, you know, in the life of awareness. But better to know than not to know. Right? If we don't know, then what happens is those patterns just keep churning on and on and keep causing us difficulty. You know, like the critic, like when, and, and when I'm working with students and I, you know, they have their first insight, you know, aside from thinking, knowing that they're thinking a lot of thoughts, is seeing how critical the thoughts are. And prior to that, there's just, an, there's just been a sort of acceptance where my mind's just, you know, that's just how my mind is. It's just negative and critical. Once we see that in the light of awareness, we realize that's a choice. And it's a painful choice to keep believing and allowing that kind of negative diatribe to go on. Right? So it's very freeing. The, the, the seeing of it is very depressing. Oh my God, my mind's so negative and critical and badgering me all the time. But the, the gift is that that provides the potential to unhook, to release from such a painful, uh, you know, painful story. You know, when I, when I was forgetting those things on my hike, you know, my critic definitely had some things to say about it. But, you know, I'm so familiar with it, I don't care that much anymore. Just like, yeah, of course you're going to be on my case. That's <laughs> your job. <laughs> oh, well. I guess I need more exercise. <laughs> Okay, so um, so the day will be interspersed with some sitting, some walking, some question time, and um, you know I'll be both guiding us in you know mindfulness practice and some kindness practice, but really just infusing our, our, our meditation with with loving presence is really what I'm orienting us to. So, without further ado, let's do some meditation together. So, maybe you want to stand for a moment, just stretch a little. And if you want to get any more uh, sitting things, some of you like to sit on the floor. There's lots of mats and cushions in the 
cupboards over there to my right. And there's a few empty cushions here at the front, if you want to come to the front, uh, one or two. And if you're sitting on the floor, make sure you're sitting high enough. You know, sometimes you might need two chairs. Okay, so finding a comfortable posture where you can sit upright. Relaxed. Spine relatively straight. If you're sitting on the chair, try not to lean too much in the back of the chair, sitting up so you just feel the chair and the lower back. But you're really sitting up with some alertness, brightness. Hands on your legs or in your lap. And so first, just taking a moment to notice what's here as you turn the gaze of attention inwards. Closing your eyes. What is calling attention as you sit here this morning? It's a poem that I like to read. It says,
What pulls on your soul when all the noise is silenced, the meetings adjourned, the lists are laid aside, and the wild iris blooms by itself in the dark forest? What still pulls on your soul? So just notice as we take a moment to pause, we can just attune what's present here. I like to do what I call a three-point check-in. We just take a moment sensing your body. What's present here in your physical experience? Stillness, tiredness. Over-caffeinated. Restless. Discomfort, pain. What's a word that just speaks to your physical experience? And then sensing your heart. How are you feeling this morning? Feeling being here in a room full of Meditators, strangers, community. Maybe some residue from the day, from conversations. What's present in your heart? One word to name this quality. And sensing your mind. How is the mind this morning? Quiet, busy, thinking, cloudy, bright. And then noticing how you meet these experiences? Are you subtly trying to change them? To make them go away? To improve them? Simply to welcome them? To meet them with awareness, with curiosity. With kindness. Turning your attention to your physical experience, aware of your posture, aware of the contact of your body with the chair, the cushion, the ground, 
feeling that sense of physical contact. your feet, legs, buttocks, hands, touching. Where the temperature of the body, warmth, cool, pleasant or unpleasant, Sensing the rest of your body, your chest, your back, your legs, your arms, your head. Mindfulness of body, being aware of the various sensations, letting go of the image of your body, and just being attendant to the physicality of your body. body in this moment is like this, sensations are like this. And of course in that physical experience you're aware of the breath moving, lifting, expanding, the chest rising, shoulder, shoulder blades lifting and falling. So receiving the sensations of inhaling, exhaling, the pause between breaths. Making the intention to really be here. The attention will be pulled in all kinds of directions, particularly to thoughts, memories, images, plans. And that's part of being human, part of practice. So each time you notice the attention 
wandering, thinking, lost in thought. Acknowledge that, our thinking, recognizing the thought, releasing it, and returning to this moment sitting, being aware of your body, being aware of breath, Feeling fully the inhale, noticing where you feel the inhale most clearly. Nostrils, throat or the chest and diaphragm lifting, falling. Aware of the exhale, all the changing sensations of the exhale. Aware of the pause between breaths, staying present to your body during the pause till the next inhale comes. Breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. If it helps, you can make a soft mental note of in on the inhale, out on the exhale. I use counting, one on the inhale, two on the exhale, up to 10. And when you get distracted, returning to one.
being a quality of curiosity. This moment, this breath, distinct from the last, this breath never to be repeated. Letting go of all the usual mental preoccupations, just giving ourselves to this moment, sitting and aware of sitting, breathing and aware of breathing. And of course other things will come to our attention, sounds, feelings, emotions, thoughts, images. Acknowledge those things and just for the purpose of establishing awareness here, returning over and over to the sense of sitting and breathing.
where's your attention in this moment? If you're sleepy, you might want to sit upright, open your eyes, take some deeper breaths, refresh your body. And notice how you're meeting, how you're holding this current experience, sitting, breathing, maybe feeling distracted, having a restless mind. Can you hold that with a kind attention or is the judgment, is there resistance, reactivity? In the last couple of minutes of the sitting, just noticing where you are, what's here, cultivating curious attention, this moment, this body, this breath. Meeting it with a kind attention.
close with a poem from Linda France called Dreaming the Real. I'm looking down, looking at the color of sky falling through leaves, dreaming the real, tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go, simply exhale, so the day could breathe itself in and open without me standing in the way? How could I forget the grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as the midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, all of its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it and feel it love me back under my skin. So as you've often heard, probably, that we say this practice is simple and not easy. Simple, not easy, right? Everything that we're saying here is very accessible. Pay attention, be aware, be present, feel your body, feel your breath, stay in the present. Good luck. (laughs) Right? Because that's not what we practice. What we practice is thinking and daydreaming and checking out and planning and worrying and reminiscing and and then repeat you know a lot a lot a lot or just not wanting to bring our attention here because we've got seven screens open on our laptop all day and that's what we're busy you know running between i know what that's like i'm i'm writing a book and there's nothing more interesting than any other screen than your book <laughs> what's the weather I should check my flights. What about, who knows what, the Russian Revolution? What year was that? And why was it, was it the Bolsheviks or the... uh, (laughs) I'm sure it's relevant to the book somehow. Mindfulness and the Bolshevik Revolution. (laughs) So we're, you know, conditioned to multitask, to scatter... And so we're eroding our attention, you know, in, in a very kind of alarming way. You know, our human attention has gone from, tw- the attention span gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds in the last 20 years. And probably in the next 20 years, it will probably go down to 5 seconds. You know, so that's like maybe one breath. Right? So if you get to two, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> Really, three is great. Realistically, that's what happens. So it's not—it's not a problem that we that the mind flutters. What's what's key is that we see that, not get lost in that, and return very quickly. The practice is mostly one of returning and re-establishing awareness. 
reestablishing present moment awareness. Our awareness is always here, but it's usually attending to something that's not here, usually the coconut. So, so we train lovingly, patiently, caringly. Here, here, this, this. Can I be, become absorbed and curious about this, this, this precious breath of life, this body pulsing and vibrating and sensing, the sound, this, whatever it is. So we'll do another practice and then, and then I'll, we'll come back for some questions. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll do a little standing practice and then we'll do some walking practice. And I really want you to be familiar with standing because I'd say a good quarter of you were dozing off in the last meditation, maybe a third. You know, that's what happens. We arrive to these events tired, our eyes closed. Oh, time for a nap. Right? So we, we zone out. Right? So and the, uh, the main alternative to dozing is standing. You can open your eyes when you're sitting, you can take deep breaths, you can try to invigorate your system, but most likely it's hard to really cultivate that brightness. So so instead, just stand up. The next sitting, you feel dozy, foggy, dreamy, dull, just stand up. Same practice, sensing your body. So right now, just feel your feet, maybe close your eyes, or have your eyes gaze lowered. And just feel... Your feet on the floor, the contact, the pressure, weight, texture, temperature. See how the foot muscles, the leg muscles are always working, moving, tensing, relaxing, swaying. And then just be aware of your whole body, your legs, your back. Your front body, your torso, your arms and hands, your neck and head, shoulders. Standing, being human, being aware, being present moment oriented. And then noticing when you leave the present. There's some mental world. And then you come back, feeling your feet, allowing your contact with your feet to be the anchor for your attention. Standing is the practice of no escape as in it's hard to check out without noticing. You can't doze off because there's a bit of a risk, about five feet of risk. Notice if you feel brighter, a little more energized, a little more enlivened. Maybe a little more uncomfortable, which is also something that helps support awareness. Get too cozy. We had lazy boys in here, we'd never make it to the present. 
So standing, and then you can be aware of your breath as part of that. Notice how the breath is a different quality, different, slightly different shape of the abdomen. So standing, aware of standing, you can open your eyes now. So that's a, so we'll alternate the day between sitting practices and either standing or walking. So you're welcome to stay standing, or you're welcome to do some walking and do some walking outside, get some fresh air. And so we're not going for a walk, we're not taking a hike, we're doing walking meditation. How many of you are familiar with walking meditation? I imagine most of you. Yeah, so the practice of walking is simply moving with the same quality of presence as you are when you're standing or sitting. More going on, so in some ways easier to rest the attention because there's more physicality. You're aware of the sensations of your... We can do it right now. Just, just move from side to side. That's what happens when we walk as we sway. Left to right. And then when you pour your weight into your left, you take a little standing step with your right. And then you sort of fall into your right, your weight pause, and you lift your left and your left steps. Right? So that's the process of walking, a lot going on. Keep your awareness in just the simplicity of the changing sensations of experience as you walk. Lifting, moving, stepping, leaning, falling, stepping, feeling the touch of your clothing or the air on your skin or the breeze or the sunlight or the shade or the bird song as part of that experience. Right? So with walking, there's a lot more sensory stimuli, especially outside. You might notice smells, birds, beauty, trees, light. And staying present to the, the physicality, your interior experience. What's it like as you step? And really feel that caressing of your foot on the earth. And you know, a student who did a retreat with me some years ago, and she had a wretched retreat. She said it was a really nightmare. But there was one moment, and her mind, because her mind is really, really intense, uh, intensely distracted. And she had one moment where she was outside walking in the woods, and she was trying to mindfully walk, and she, and she got really present for one step and felt that amazing moment of the, the foot touching the earth. And what an amazing sacred experience that was. And they said the whole retreat was worth it for that moment step. You know, when we're that present, it's beautiful. It's profound. Right? When we slow down, when we stop leaning forward, right? The reason we, we invite you to walk up and down, you know, maybe take 10, 20, 30 steps, like walk um, across ways on this um, patio out here, uh, is to not go anywhere. The point of not going anywhere is you're more likely to be here if we say go for a walk, you'll be lost thinking about where you're going to get to, like the top of the hill or the forest over there. But if we're just going up and down, then the mind lets go of that future forward-leaning orientation. We just say, okay, we'll just be here because I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm just going to come back to where I am. So let's just be with this moment, this step, this breath. And... Uh, like that, yeah, so find a place, you know, and you just, you know, like something like this long, and you just walk up and down, and um, have your eyes slightly down, 
and you know, really aware of your interiority and you turn around and you get a chance to start again because you've probably spaced out at least three times since, since the last little runway and you just walk. You have your hands in your lap or by your sides. You stop and you turn around. So we'll walk like that for maybe 30 minutes and then we'll come back and we'll check in, see how you're doing. I'll stay behind for a few minutes if there's any uh, questions about any of this. Any questions right now about the walking? We'll have a bell that will sound at uh, 11.45 for you to come back in for some more sitting. Enjoy. And please stay in silence. We'll have the, the, the day, a practice day in silence. So, is there a question? Yes, yeah, so you can walk for a little bit, and if you feel like standing, then just pause where you are and stand. Yeah.
So any uh, observations, comments, questions about this morning so far, what I've said, what the sitting, the walking, standing, what's, what's present for you as you take your seat? And I'm curious what, um, at this theme of meeting experience in ourselves with kind attention, or the challenge with that, or the obstacles to that, anything you'd like to ask about. We have microphones. Who's the who's the volunteers who are mic running? So we have a person question down here. Thank you. Um, I've been trying to do this for a while, and every time someone says, go do walking meditation, mm. I feel myself going, ugh. So I go out and do it, and and I don't feel the same calmness or tranquility or concentration I do when I'm doing sitting meditation. And it occurred to me just now, maybe that's not what I should be expecting. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> it's only taken me eight years. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, sh- what should... what? What should I be expecting? <laughs> Ideally, nothing. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, if we can remove the word should and expecting from your lexicon, you know, and, um, and be curious what happens. Like, you know, there's they're definitely different modes, different practices, different things get evoked and revealed. And and they have both have their strengths and their and their challenges and their place. And we will, you know, generally have a predilection to one, you know, various practices versus others and some work better for us than others and some are different times than others and um so but it's good that you are seeing you know, when we have that expectation or thinking it should be like the sitting, which is usually calmer, stiller, you know, eyes are closed, we're indoors, less stimulation, of course it's going to have a different quality, more concentrated to some degree. And we tend to associate meditation with that quality, you know, the stillness, the calmness, what in the traditions called samadhi, right, this collected, gathered of mind that's also very, can be very soft, can be very deep, can absorb and lovely, and um, so that's uh, you know not it's equally accessible in any practice, but not as easy because of the because the conditions are different. So it creates condition, different conditions. Um, so just knowing that will hopefully <laughs> maybe transform your practice because. Whenever we have an expectation, which we, it's hard for us not to, we preempt the experience and we're constantly evaluating and, and, and comparing and so we're not in the experience, you know, and we do that all the time. And it's just part of the way the brain works, it's predictive. We, 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 we try, we anticipate what's happening. So if letting all that go and just go, well, what's it like to just stand and step and move and walk and step and stand and feel this, all the stimulations and um, 
you know, and it can be a lot of different things, and and we can attend to different things in the walking, right? So, one of the gifts of walking is we learn how to move and stay embodied as we move through life, right? So, it may not be the same cloistered stillness that we experience in the sitting, but it's you know. So, here's a, there's a phrase that I like much more than meditation, which is meditative awareness. Right? So what we're cultivating through mindfulness is a contemplative awareness, right? contemplative presence that we learn to bring to anything and everything. So the meditation can be a trap because it feels like a thing that doesn't translate. What translates is the awareness and the presence that's cultivated in that meditation. That's what's important. The awareness which supports clarity and insight and all of that. So pay attention to cultivating um, a meditative awareness as you walk and just see what happens. It doesn't, nothing has to happen. Right? We want something to happen, to be deep or enjoyable or insightful. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But what's it like to really be in present, present and embodied as we move? As we stand, as we drink tea, as we go to the bathroom, as we walk up and down, as we sit. Right? And so what, what's important, more important than the meditation, is the meditative awareness that you, that's accompanying you in your life. Right? And, and so the walking is a, is a beautiful practice uh, that... that cultivates that meditative awareness in the same way the sitting does but the, it's, it's obviously more translatable in the walking because we walk around a lot in our lives and we stand a lot and we have a lot of and our eyes are open and we, there's more stimulation there's people and there's things and so we're learning to abide in that meditative awareness as we do anything so, um, so yes it may be less concentrated it doesn't have to be you can get very very concentrated walking Especially if you're doing it indoors, um, and um, you know the other thing that can arise without giving you more expectations <laughs> is, um, it, it, especially on retreat, because on retreat we go back and forth between sitting meditation and walking meditation. Often, insight arises more commonly for people in the walking than the sitting. Because the sitting becomes a little bit of a pressure cooker and, and there's a little bit of expectation. Whereas the walking, we can, it's possible to find a more ease and relaxation. And I also find, because I walk a lot in, in my life in, in nature, that that movement, that bilateral movement, uh, supports a reflective, insightful kind of attention. So I have a lot of insights when I walk. More than when I'm probably same at this point. Does that help? Yeah. Great. Okay. That's, that's a good question. Yeah. So this, this this sense of cultivating a meditative awareness is what we're looking for because it's that meditative awareness that's present, that's connected, that's embodied, that's contemplative, reflective. Right. That's what serves us. You know, as we go through our life, we do our work. We're in dialogue with people. We're sitting in traffic fuming at the traffic or you know that's like that we bring that awareness to, to all those things right so 
the stillness and the, and the yumminess that we can get in a sitting meditation is lovely, but it's not the point, and it doesn't translate as well. What translate is the awareness, the insight, the knowing, and the kindness. That that's what translate. That's what we're cultivating. We're cultivating these qualities and ways of being that become part of who we are. You know, more accessible wherever we are, whatever we're doing. So that's the gift. Yeah. Yes, other questions? Dare you ask a question now about walking? But no, please, walking, standing, whatever. What else is coming? Yes, please, lady here. So um, you just mentioned that you, you can come out a lot of insight when you're walking. And um, so, but, but um, so what I understand about meditation, like both um, sitting or walking is like be, be mindful and be at that moment. And I'm wondering, uh, so I actually I have a lot of thought when I'm sitting meditation or walking. And I'm wondering, um, so I know it's okay to have that thought, but I kind of confused about the, the thought or insight <coughs> and the like not being at that moment uh-huh. because that in, insight might be c- related to other things like uh-huh. how, how to live or... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we have lots of thoughts when we sit, walk or whatever, and some of those, as you say, are insightful thoughts and some of those are insights about something that's not happening here, like maybe an insight about a relationship or about some you know, some creative thing that you're involved with or some, you know, conflict. Um, And, you know, that happens. And, um, you know, I think it's fine to give some moments to those insights because, you know, in that moment, that's what's here. Regardless of whether the insight is about your work or your partner or your life, it's still happening in the moment in the meditation. The content might be about elsewhere. But the insight is, in this case, arising here. So you give that some attention. And then the trick with insight is, usually we get, you know, insight is, an, is a sort of an aha, a breakthrough, which releases a lot of energy, because it's like, oh, wow, I've never seen it that way. That's really interesting. And then our brain being the kind of brain it does, is, it associates. Oh, well, if that's true, then what does it mean for this relationship? And what if I able to take that to here, and then that will transform that relationship? And then we go on to, then we get lost, right? So the key with insight is to, is to acknowledge and, and receive the insight, and then not get lost in the flurry of thoughts about it. And then come back to whatever's here. Let the, it's a bit like you let the insight and the thought land so you have to give it some space to sort of be digested, if that makes sense. Yeah. What else? What's working? Uh, yes. I have kind of a practical question. So mm-hmm. I've never done walking meditation before. I thought that was really lovely. Um, but I was a bit confused or wondering just of your thoughts on the speed of walking. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't um, mention that. I have kind of a pretty naturally quick pace and mm-hmm. I find it pretty comfortable and um, and and good for thought and relax relaxation. Just walking at my speed, but a lot of people were walking pretty pretty darn slow. So I was just mm-hmm. wondering, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, 
the the main instruction is walk at the pace that supports your mindfulness attention, right? So if it's walking fast, because that's what how you walk, and you know, then fine. Um, and some of you, you know, done a lot of walking practice, and there's something very delicious about slowing down and or walking very slow. It can really help concentrate the attention. Um, but the trick is to do it in a way that's natural. I like to walk at normal pace, mostly, and then I let the body slow down as it slows down rather than thinking, oh, I should walk slowly because it looks really cool and spiritual and deep and, um, you know, and then I lose my balance and I space out or I get tired because I'm not, you know, I, I need to walk quicker to keep the energy up. So, you know, the, uh, so, so the, the reflection is, what pace supports your, your attention? If you're really agitated, sometimes walking slow, it can help calm the nervous system down. Sometimes walking too slow is agitating and you need to walk faster or you lose your balance. So it doesn't really matter how fast or slow you're walking because you can be walking very slowly and looking really good and be thinking about what movie you're going to go see tonight. You know, So it's, you know, what's like, you can look like the Buddha. Me thinking about breakfast, you know. So, yeah. What else? So this is what I do. It's market research question. How many of you was it easier to cultivate attention in the walking than the sitting? How many of you was it? Okay, it's about half. It's current with my algorithms about walking and sitting. <laughs> so it's about half. <laughs> Please. Owing to frequent and reasonably protracted back pain, I practiced leaning meditation mm. this morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> leaning forward? Leaning on oh, I see, those right. big posts yes. oh, out nice. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but exposing my back to the sun so uh-huh. that I could benefit from nice. that heat. Yeah. And, of course, the birds out there. Mm. And I think... Those are plants, just to distract me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it, being distracted in that way is wonderful to uh-huh. have the attention focused yes. just on that marvelous sound right. and the capacity to hear it. Right. Yes. So the you know, of course, when we're outside, there's a lot more stimuli, right? Sounds, sunlight, birds, creatures, you know, beauty. And um, from the perspective of awareness, nothing is a distraction. It's just what's here, right? So for you, it might be the back pain, and then it might be the pleasure of the sun, the ease that you're feeling from the post, and then you're hearing the sounds, and then you're enjoying the sounds. Right? And then the breeze comes and there's a sweetness. Right? That, that's just moment-to-moment awareness. Right? So there's, a, there's the specific task at hand. Right? Might be the breath, might be the walking, might be whatever you choose to focus on. And then there's life happens. You know, in this case, birds or people or traffic noise or something. And um, ultimately, we're learning to just be inclusive of all experience and allowing everything to support present moment awareness. So in that context, nothing is a distraction. It's just the next thing. 
And you may choose to stay with the bird song because that's very absorbing and it's a fine thing to pay attention to. You're just aware of listening. And then you might choose, okay, I'm going to come back to my body or the standing or whatever practice, whatever object you were choosing to focus on. Um, so there's two main orientations with mindfulness. One is object-oriented practice. Like this morning, we were choosing or selecting the breath and the body as the preferential focus. Right? But that doesn't mean to say that thoughts, images, sounds stop happening. We're just not giving them that much attention. They might pull our attention, and then we bring them back. Pull our attention, bring them back. Right? So the other orientation is choiceless awareness, where you're just present or moment-to-moment uh, concentration, where you're just present to the current stimulus of the moment. Sounds, breath, feeling, sensation, standing, seeing, breath, feeling, thought, standing, right? Just the flow of experience. Right? So what you were doing was more that choiceless awareness where you're just present to what was next, which was the bird song or the sunlight. Maybe someone walks by you, you notice that. Maybe you notice a judgment or curiosity, and then you hear the bird song again, and then you notice joy, oh, sweetness, joy. And then usually what happens is you go, oh, I wonder what kind of bird that is. Is that a finch or is that a thrush? Do we have thrushes here? I mean, what's their migration cycle? I wonder, do they winter here or do they, you know, I should go to Audubon. They, they have all those classes in Point Reyes. I should go study them. And why don't I ever study classes? I'm just so lazy. You know, and <laughs> on and on, right? Okay, and then we come back. Oh, sound. Oh, birdsong. Oh, sweet. Enjoyment. Enjoyment. And then, we, and then it's the next thing, right? And then the instant. What's that? Yes, why the Buddha smiles. Right, right. For many reasons, but yes. So, um, yeah, so in that way, the practice is very simple. Am I here? What is here? And then what is, you know, what is being touched? So when I do my nature retreats, which I teach a lot of, what I have people explore is not just the sound, but what arises within you in relationship to the sound, which might be enjoyment or pleasure or delight or fondness or sweetness or smile. And, um, you know, and and then the next thing and the next thing. So there's the what's happening and then there's our relationship to it. Are we liking it? You know, and then maybe you get a back, you know, pain, pain twinge. And then there's contraction. Oh, not that. I hate that. I was enjoying the birds. I hate that. Right? Or not. You know, something. And then something else happens. How are we, how, are we noticing it? And how are we relating to it? Are we judging it? Are we welcoming it? Are we hating it? Are we liking it? Are we avoiding it? Are we afraid of it? So these are the two principal areas that we're tending to. What's happening, how we're relating to it. In this case, birds, pleasure. So then you let yourself feel the joy. Oh, joy. Oh, delight. Oh, sweetness. And then you let that pervade your experience. Very lovely. When we bring attention to something, it allows it to flourish. And then it passes, and then it's next thing. Any other questions, observations? Yes, please, in the front here. Yeah. 
I had kind of this aha as I was walking. Um, I love meditation and I love this practice. And it's it feels almost easy here sitting in this place. And then I had this aha as I was walking how difficult it is for me to bring it into my busy professional life. What do you do? Uh, nurse practitioner. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's busy, complex work. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so any insight on how to bring this into a... Yeah. You know, yeah. you're... So the walking day. is a great doorway to that, right? Because you walk a lot probably, right? You're probably walking around the ward a lot. Yeah. And um, if you could really practice being in your body, in, in your physical experience as you walk around from patient to patient, desk to mm. patient, right? Those 10 seconds, 20 seconds between patients or between beds or whatever it is your duty is. And you, instead of like worrying about what just happened or worrying about the next patient, you just really like take a couple of breaths, feel your body, relax mm. whatever tension you're holding from whatever it is you're carrying. And then you're going to be much more present when you meet the next person or the other nurse at the station or whatever. And um, that, that itself is a great practice where you just, you know, or maybe you're standing waiting for the elevator or you're standing waiting for doctor's rounds or you're standing, you know, all kinds of times you're waiting, waiting for a report to print or some data to be exactly. assessed. What are you doing? Are you, are you kind of tense because it's not coming quick enough or are you taking a breath to pause and, you know, feel your belly and notice where you're tense and releasing that. And if you did that hundreds of times a day, which is what it requires actually, you would probably end the day more refreshed. Exactly. Be more present. Less tension in your body. And um, probably do your work much better. You know, I do a lot of work in healthcare and, and, I, and there's a lot of micro practices to do like that. You know, like... Um, you know, if you're, I don't know if you're, what kind of situation you're in, but, you know, prior to, you know, knocking on the door to a patient's room, you know, can you remember a phrase of loving kindness? You know, may this person be really well. Yeah. Right? Things like that. Yeah. Um, but, but using your body as a, as a resource and a refuge for attention, very helpful. Particularly because we hold so much tension in our bodies. You have a stressful job, right? And there's time pressure and you know, conflicts and pain and, yeah. you know. So the more that you can notice that and release it, notice it, release it, notice it, release it. Mm. Right? That's, that's, and each time you relax, right, relaxation is a doorway to presence. Each time you relax, you're more here. Mm. You're more here, you're more of service. Right? So that's why the walking and the standing is a great practice. Every time you go up and down the stairs, Instead of rushing, thinking about the next patient, yes. just be with the stairs. Every time you touch the door handle, can you feel the, the temperature mm. of the door handle? Mm-hmm. You know, metal's cooler usually, you know, etc. Um, Thank you. Very yeah. And washing your hands, also a great practice in housing. Great mindfulness practice. You do that probably, what, 50 times a day, right? And if you're rushing, oh, I've got to get to the next thing. Just, okay, take an extra five seconds. <laughs> Wash your hands, smell the soap. Probably doesn't smell in hospitals, it's scent free, but anyhow, you know, <laughs> feel the soap, you know, feel the pleasure of warm water, right? 
Can you love your hand, like do, do a loving kindness for your hands every time you towel, you know, towel dry your hands? May my hands be well. May I be well. May they serve beautifully. You know? And this is lots, you know, with any job, particularly nursing, I think, but it, you know, there's all these ways that we can, you know, bring these micro-attention. And the body is such, you know, it's the body's always in the present. Right? If you shift your attention to just asking, oh, what am I noticing in my body right now? Your body is going to tell you something because it's in the present. Your, your feet are aching, your back sore, you're holding tension in your belly, you're noticing a smile on your face, whatever it is. So, yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for your work. You know, and that's that, that's so. Again, go back to the question about meditative awareness, right? What you're cultivating as you work and walk and talk to patients is meditative awareness, and the body is going to support you cultivating meditative awareness. Right? So that's our refuge, right? So I've done walking practice for 25 years or something, and I love. I have a lot of indebt- indebtedness to the walking because. Most times when I walk, I feel really embodied and really here. And, and, it, and when, I'm, when I'm embodied, I'm feeling my body, I'm noticing tension, I'm more likely to release it. I'm more likely to relax. I'm more likely to get centered, you know, for a few moments, you know. And, you know, whether it's in safe ways or at some, you know, company office or train station, you know, it's a great resource, so, and sometimes like the training, like, you're going back to your question about walking, sometimes either the sitting or the walking, you know, daily practice is, is work, you know, it's like going to the gym, it's work, and it may not feel that fruitful. It may feel like nothing much is happening. Most of the time you're just yanking your mind back from thoughts and worries and plans for the day. But it does have... Validity. It does cultivate presence and awareness. And same with the walking. Maybe you could do walking practice at home before you go to work. Just even five minutes. Just walk up and down the corridor of your house or on the, on the deck or in a garden. And, and even in that five minutes, you might be spacing out most of the time. But you're in training your body to know this from the inside. Right? And that's a, it's It's a... A tremendous gift, you know, for, for our busy, complex life. Most people have busy, complex lives, like like nursing, you know. So we need these these tools, both the sitting, both the formal practice, which is where we grow the muscle of awareness, as it were. It's not a muscle, but it's like a muscle. And um, and we're um, what's the word? Uh, embedding the importance of awareness, mindfulness, knowing, and being embodied, and unhooking from our thoughts and reactivities, which is what we're doing all day, but the the meditation is the lab where we're doing that intensively. So, So let's do some more practice. Thank you for your questions. Great. Very rich.
and read a poem from Donna Folds. It's called Allow. She says, There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt, containing a tornado, dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist, and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow, and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of your heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the world is revealed to your new eyes. So we'll sit with an attitude of uh, open awareness, and I'll just guide us through that, where we're tending to our moment-to-moment changing experience. So establishing your posture, sitting upright, relaxed, and orienting towards stillness. So not sitting rigidly still, but finding a, see if you can relax into some stillness. And we'll begin by turning our attention to sounds, to hearing. Present to sounds, inner sounds, outer sounds, human sounds, and the space and the silence between sounds. Being present to sound without thinking about the source of the sound. Letting attention be open, receptive, spacious. And then bring that same receptive awareness to include sensations of your body, all the various experiences of touching, pressure, weight, temperature, movement, tingling. Tension, expansion, contraction, 
attending to the various sensations of sitting, breathing, and notice they come and go like sounds, like touch points in, in the space of awareness. Sounds coming and going, sensations of the body ebbing and flowing, the breath, sensations moving in and out. Staying present to whatever's most predominant. Notice how it changes. Sensation, the breath, sound. And you can settle your attention if it's helpful to the breath as, a, as an anchor, as a support for attention. And yet, at the same time, being present to sounds when they come and go, other sensations. Noticing emotions when they come, moods, states of mind. Gladness, joy, sadness, fear, anxiety. When they appear, it's helpful to name them. Oh, sadness, anxiety, and then feeling. What do those emotions feel like in the body? Where do you feel anxious or afraid or love? And when they pass, you can return to the breath.
same way thoughts and images flicker, come and go, grab our attention for a moment or two, pass away. We can learn to stay steady in awareness, present to the coming and going of experience, sounds, sensations, breath, feelings, thoughts. So abide in this knowing quality of awareness.
When the attention gets lost in some tunnel of thought or spacing out, without judgment, releasing that and re-establishing awareness here, hearing, sitting, breathing, sensing, feeling. If your energy is low and the mind is dull, you can stand and continue the practice more refreshed. as well as attending to what's here, noticing the attitude or quality in which you bring to each experience. Can you bring a curiosity and kindness, friendliness?
as you bring the practice to a close and you listen to the sounds of the bell, so be aware of hearing and then noticing if the mind evaluates your practice or judges it. We learn from our experience without negatively judging or comparing or dismissing. So coming up to lunch and during lunch I invite you to uh, continue the practice. So particularly the last practice we did which was more choiceless awareness where you're just simply present to the moment-to-moment flow of your experience. Just notice, you know, what happens in this next hour. Nothing else to do. Eat some food. There's a the the day long workshop upstairs is about mindful eating, so just saying. <laughs> it's lunchtime, uh, so my eating is a lovely practice, right? Whatever food you brought, can you bring awareness to that? Can you bring presence? Can you? Notice what's happening. Can you notice the tendencies you bring? We all we all have a lot of habits around food. You know, which is often multitasking. We're usually on a device. Rarely do we just eat without some other secondary stimuli, right? Music, TV, laptop, text, paper, person, right? So what's it like just to be present? Notice what happens when you eat. Um, and, you know, do you rush your food to get to the next thing? There's nothing to get to right now. There's just the next thing to be present for, so there's no need to rush. (laughs) Can you actually take this precious time to just enjoy the salad or the sandwich or appreciate the food, the the work that went into whatever it is that you're eating, the farmers and the bakers and the gardeners and and, um, put put the object down, you know. We usually have the shovel ready to load up and because we like the pleasantness, and so why, the reason we cram is because we want to accentuate the pleasure, which of course it doesn't do that, it just creates a different attention. So can we you know, taste the blueberries and really enjoy them before cramming more in? You know? um, and um, just be mindful of, of how much you eat. The more you eat, the more tired this afternoon. So moderation is good. The Buddha said... Stop eating five mouthfuls before your belly is full. Which is a great instruction because that requires a lot of mindfulness. So what does that mean, five mindfuls before, mouthfuls before my belly is full? Um, and um, yeah, notice whatever else arises in relationship to the food and 
appreciation and and then and uh, there'll be some time after eating so feel free to take a, a walk you can walk up in the hills here uh, this uh, you can have your lunch by the meadow outside it's very beautiful there's a little hike the back side of the meadow the far left corner of the meadow there's a hike up into the hills there um, as Romy said there's a silent retreat going on so we ask that you don't walk beyond the the gate uh, the top of the road here um, but also feel free to rest I like to nap after lunch so uh, we'll keep the building will stay in silence so feel free if you want to either meditate in here or just rest um, you know we don't rest much as a culture we tend to go 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 cram 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 and I lived in Spain for six months, so I learned the art of the siesta, which is a great thing. <laughs> uh, a, my favorite Spanish proverb goes, it is beautiful to do nothing and rest afterwards. <laughs> so you've been doing a whole lot of nothing, so it's high time that you all rest. <laughs> um, so please rest, or, you know, or stroll, get some fresh air, and also good to just wake up the... The, the cells and and then um, we'll come back we'll come back at uh, so it's about 12.40 so we'll come back at 1.45 uh, we'll do some more practice and um, I think that's it and also enjoy the nature your nature is beautiful here you know great support for practice so enjoy the natural world thank you
So welcome back. I hope you took advantage of this beautiful summer's day. I meant to read you this poem before I sent you out for lunch, but I'll read it now because I love it. It's a poem by Mary Oliver called Mindful. It's about taking our practice outdoors. She says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, and to lose myself inside this soft world with joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the ordinary, the common, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you help but grow wise with but teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. So lots of grasses and prayers, and maybe there were moments that you were touched with killed with delight. You know, when we're present, we have that opportunity to be touched. That requires that we know how to be present and not on our devices or in the the devices in our heads. So I wanted to say some words a little more about this integration of love and awareness and then to ask have you reflect on some questions about where you can and can't open to what is and to aspects of yourself so you know it's one thing to open our awareness to a beautiful landscape like this it's not as easy to open awareness in our hearts to when the inner landscape is not quite as beautiful or the outer landscape is harsher and more painful. And, you know, as I was saying this morning, so much of our practice is training us to to meet what is. You know, we meet, you know, in meditation we meet, you know, sort of variety of things, not necessarily that difficult to be with breath and body and boredom and restlessness and distraction and spacing out and, you know, occasionally mindful. And, um, you know, but there's things that we carry in our bodies and our hearts and our lives that are very much not easy. You know, the, the chronic pain or the chronic illness or the recent losses or the you know, midlife crises, whatever age you are. And, um, you know, the, we're, we're often pushed or tested. And our practice is a really good barometer for seeing how, for, you know, our meditation practice is a good barometer for seeing how, how we're doing with that. How are we meeting difficult experience? This is from Suzuki Roshi, a Zen teacher. He says, you don't really know what it means to sit in meditation until there's some great difficulty in your life. 
not until something happens like the grave illness of someone you love and then you're tearing your hair out and pacing back and forth in the corridor of the hospital and there's nothing you can do and finally you take a seat in the midst of your fears and sorrows and thoughts and worries and you just learn to sit in the middle of it all and that's the moment you need you begin to understand the power of your practice right and you begin to understand what it's like to sit in the fire right we all go through fires plenty in life right losses pain physical pain and that's the whole landscape of uh, mental challenges and life challenges and existential angsts and so the invitation is how do we sit how do we stay steady in the middle of it how do we open our hearts how do we find kindness and love and kindness they're qualities they're innate and they're also um capacities that we train that we develop and much of the training comes at looking at what gets in the way what gets in the way of you being able to meet say the pain in your body or the loneliness in your heart or the craziness of your mind so important questions in what ways do you turn away from yourself what ways do you reject parts of your experience what ways do you, ways do you turn away from others and of course we're living in times where you know maybe it's always there with this way but the <clears throat> when these qualities are not available on a social societal level you know there's a lot of painful consequences like the the immigration horrors at the border here but also just coming from Europe and similarly the turning away of boatloads of refugees from Italy and Greece and you know, tremendously painful things happening in the world when that quality of kindness and care is not available so a story for you it's one person's way of dealing with this some of you might have heard this story <clears throat> it's about a man he's watching this woman in a supermarket observing how uh as a mother with her child and how patient she's been dealing with in the typical needs and tantrums of a child going shopping in the supermarket so a man's observing uh this woman as they pass the um cookie section he sees the the woman with the 3-year-old girl in the shopping cart and the girl's asking for cookies and finding out that the answer is no cookies will be allowed and she begins to whine and fuss and the mother says he overhears a saying now monica we just have half of the aisles left to go through won't be long we'll check out soon and then they get to the candy aisle and when finding out finding out that there's no candy to be had again the girl begins to cry and the mother says there there monica don't cry 
only two more aisles to go, and then we'll check out. And when they get to the checkout stand, of course, there's all those racks of bubblegum and sweets. And upon hearing that there's no bubblegum to be purchased, she has a tantrum. And upon discovering that and freaking out, the mother patiently says, Monica, we'll be through the checkout stand in five minutes, then we can go home and take a nice nap. The man follows them out to the parking lot and stops the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica, he began. Whereupon the mother says, what do you mean? My little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Monica. (laughs) So that's the quality we need. There, there, Jane, John, Bill, Fred, Samantha. (laughs) There, there, this meditation will only be 25 more minutes. (laughs) And then we'll go outside and take a nice walk. (laughs) And so on and so on, right? So, you know, Sylvia Borstein, who teaches here forever, she says when she gets startled, she, you know, she says to us, oh, she says, oh, honey, you're startled. Take a moment, take a breath. It's okay, we'll get through this. You know, a lot of our ways of navigating is kind of soothing ourselves, comforting ourselves, reassuring ourselves. Right? Our, our nervous systems get triggered. We often regress. You know, you know it may be that you know, you're going to be late for a meeting, but the four-year-old inside who's terrified of being rejected by the people at work has a tantrum. And you have to, there, there, it's going to be okay. We'll get through the traffic. We'll get to the meeting and we'll survive. You know, send a text. and blah, blah, blah. So, but what happens usually is we get triggered and we lose all sense of ability to regulate because of the activation of the nervous system, the fight-flight system gets uh, jacked up. And, um, you know, that's when we lose our mindfulness because the, you know, the, the amygdala hijack, as Daniel Goleman talks about it, the, the, you know, triggering of the nervous system is hard to stay steady in. And we all have our particular stresses where we get triggered. So, I was flying recently and um, coming out of, where was I, Albuquerque, and the turbulence was typically horrible. (laughs) Stormy and, um, you know, I'm really glad I practiced after these years. It's a little easier dealing with turbulence, you know. But we all have different kinds of turbulence, right? It doesn't have to be an air bumping up and down. A plane bumping up and down. It could be our partner or our kids or our boss bumping up and down, tantruming. You know, going back to the question about the body and, and how to stay present in a busy work shift as a nurse, right? The body is one of those resources. Right? Like right now, as you're sitting... What's your awareness of your body? What's what's happening in the body? If I say to you, call to mind a difficult situation you're currently in. Just take a moment to think about that. Difficult conflict in your relationship or at work or around money or kids or parents. What happens in your body? Something. Heart starts racing maybe, a little sweaty shallower breaths, right? 
tense stomach, shoulders tense, hands tighten. Right? That's part of the fight-flight activation. Right? The body's telling us tons of signals all the time which we can respond to or ignore. If we're responding to them, we're more likely to be able to head a crisis off at the pass. So as you think about this difficult incident, right, can you find somewhere in your body that's not triggered? Can you find somewhere in your body that's at ease? Maybe your feet or your hands or your crown of your head. Maybe you're aware of the environment you're in and that helps regulate you. There's different ways that we can... You know, Monica, Monica Tammy doesn't have that access yet as a three-year-old. Right? And when we get triggered, we regress to the three-year-old. Right? But hopefully, with, with, as we cultivate mindfulness and particularly kindness, and I'm really aware that as we bring kindness to these difficult situations, to these triggers... It's the, it's the love within the kindness that allows the nervous system to feel soothed, to feel held. And that allows us to handle these triggering, aggravating times. But the, as I've been saying this morning, the invitation always comes to turn towards, to lean into what's happening. Most of our conditioning, culturally and otherwise, is to turn away, to run away, to avoid, to reject difficulty, stress, pain, emotional turbulence. And we all have our habits of distraction and devices of distraction to not be with the hard stuff. But, of course, if that worked, then I'd say, you know, let's just get out our iPhones and just, you know, (laughs) spend the rest of the afternoon, you know, I don't know, playing your favorite whatever it is on your iPhone. Achan Cha, a great Thai meditation master, said, by running away from suffering, we run towards it. By running away from suffering, we run towards it. And we all think we can run fast enough. (laughs) I'll go to Hawaii, I'll drink a lot, I'll work really hard and get really busy so I don't have to feel anything. Um, You know, I'll just stuff whatever I'm feeling. But of course it comes out at three in the morning as insomnia, or it comes out as a panic attack several years down the line, or it comes out as some kind of, maybe an ulcer or some kind of stress. I'm always tickled when I'm I'm hiking. I do a lot of hiking. So on this this hiking trip in Italy, in the Dolomites, you know, it's beautiful. There's great scenery and there's you know, mountains and lakes and valleys. And then there's my crazy mind. <laughs> it's like, who brought you along? I thought I left you back in England. You know, there it is, yakking and you know, planning and worrying and judging and you know. Blah, 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 blah. We can't get away from ourselves. So we have to turn towards, we have to meet that. So this is a poem about that I wrote some years ago. 
It's called your only duty. Your only duty is not to run from here, even if the the whole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day exposed. You can pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that never works, only makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there's no choice but to surrender, to turn towards your loneliness and the empty places within that you've spent a lifetime running from, embracing them with delicate hands of love the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree without flinching, pressing, and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fallen to the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has been waiting, that is always right here. So I was reading that, I was reminded of, I was visiting my parents uh, in England, and um, my, so I was having, I, I was back home at Christmas, and I was chatting to my dad, who had a very traumatic uh, childhood, and um uh, as a consequence, has a lot of um, uh, challenge with loving himself and um, a lot of pain around that. And so a lot of you know, various um, sort of you know, fallout from that, looking for love outside of himself and the painfulness of that. And uh, so we're in a pub one evening and... Um, and he starts sharing about this about this 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 is ancient wound that he has, uh, and it's very touching as we moved. And I said, you know, you know, I'm in this this meditation world where there's practices that you know you can look at around you know compassion, self compassion, forgiveness. You know, because as a as a child, of course, he blamed himself for his traumatic upbringing, and so so there's layers and layers of painful stuff, and, and not a lot of self compassion. And he said, "I know, I know, I, I know, I should do something." I said, "Well, there's this thing called mindfulness, self compassion. It's this really great body of work that some of you will know, and it teaches you around self compassion and mindfulness. And uh, check it out." And he said, "Oh yeah, I'll, you know." So it turns out that he lives in this tiny village in the middle of nowhere in southern England, and there's a, there's a, his yoga teacher um, happens to be trained in this practice and was teaching a course in that the following week after Christmas. So he signs up for this eight-week mindfulness of compassion course at 79, never really meditated before. And, um, and I'm, I'm in teaching in Baja like a few months later and I get this call in Mexico. I'm like, Dad, why are you calling me in Mexico? It's really expensive. <laughs> he said, I've just finished the, the eight-week course and it changed my life. <laughs> really, so touching. And he said, I know it's only just the beginning. I know there's a lot of practice to do. You can't just nail it in eight weeks. <laughs> and it was so moving. Um, you know, and... And, you know, it's a great example of, like, you can run for a long time, you know, and it doesn't work. It just, you know, it just sows a, you know, sows a seed of, of discontent and um, pain. And, and, and then we, that, that, and then when I was with him, the next time I visited, we, we meditated together. It was very sweet, you know. Very sweet. 
So, um, in fact, I think this weekend he's on a silent retreat. <laughs> His first weekend silent retreat. <laughs> so, you never know, it's never too late. 79. So, so I'm going to read this story um, from a Zen, another Zen teacher, uh, Darlene Cohen, who um, had a slow degenerative uh, illness. Uh, I forget exactly what it was. Painful. Hmm? Room to That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Was it? Do you know it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rheumatoid arthritis. So she says, and and she kept teaching all the way through this very painful degeneration. She said, people sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the midst of this pain, this implacable, slow crippling, can I encourage myself and other people? My answer is that my healing comes from my own pain and despair, from the shadow I dip into again and again until I'm flooded with its healing energy. However, despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around this wheel a million times. First I feel the the despair and the pain. Then I deny it for a few days until its tugs become more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming. It's clear I'm caught, and at last I give up to this uh, reunion with my adjustment to my pain and my loss. And immediately the release begins, first peace, then floods of vitality and healing energy. However, I can never just give up when when I first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times around this wheel, with a happy ending, I'd give up right away and say, take me, I'm yours, but no, I resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly, it'd be called something like purification or renewal or something hopeful. But it's staring this defeat and annihilation in the face that's so terrifying, but I've come to trust it. It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me not to fear the dark. So this is a great testament from someone who's you know, sat with you know, a lot of physical pain and sat in the fire. And as she says, you know, the, our, our instinctual biological response when we first feel that is, nope, I'm not going to feel that, not going to have that, going to get rid of it, stuff it. You know, we, we're, we're in, innately bound to rejection of unpleasantness and pain. That's just how we're hardwired. So this practice of turning towards and welcoming, like, oh, knee pain, let me sit with knee pain. Mm, back pain, ooh. You know, I had, I've had chronic back spasms last year for nine months, and, um, you know, not fun to sit with, you know. But much less painful if I wasn't fighting it, if I was just surrendering to it, which doesn't mean loving it, it just means softening into it and allowing it to be there and, and, and meeting it with kindness, much less painful. You know, the, the, the anguish we have up here, oh my God, what happens if this never goes away? I'll never be able to... Da, 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 da. Right? Much more painful than the actual... Well, maybe not more painful, but as painful as the physical stuff. 
So that's the invitation. Poem for you from Jennifer Wellwood. This is a really beautiful summary of what I've been speaking to. She's called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. This is like a key kernel of the wisdom of this Dharma practice. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. So just think about what it is that you flee from. Maybe it's feeling deficient or lonely or sad or, you know, physical limitations or aging or whatever it is. Each condition I flee from pursues me. How many people have successfully out fleed (laughs) their pursuer, right? Not so much. Each condition I welcome transforms me. It doesn't mean I like it or I want it, but I welcome it as in it's here. So if I'm I'm sad, well, let's get to know sadness. Or if I'm lonely, let's get to know love. What does that mean to be lonely? What's the difference between a loneliness and aloneness? Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. Loneliness shifts to aloneness often. Grief eventually shifts into sadness. Deficiency, when we welcome it and understand it, eventually becomes fullness. So, the questions I have for you just to reflect on, if those of you who have journals, you can write these down. What is it in yourself that you can't meet or open to? What painful habits that do you have that need your loving attention? Right? We all have habits, addictions, compulsions that um, will only be resolved through loving inquiry. Judging doesn't work, rejection doesn't work, denial doesn't work. We have to really welcome that. What is that? What is this compulsion to obsess about, you know, fill in the blank? Money, sex, relationship, love. Where do you turn away from yourself? These are all variations of a theme. Where is love needed towards yourself, your life, your experience, your body, your heart, your mind?
And again, what practice is doing, meditation, mindfulness, kindness, is we're sowing the seeds for those qualities of kindness to arise more, more accessibility. It doesn't mean that we're always kind or always present. It's not going to happen. But we're more likely to have some access to those qualities at some point. I have a student I've been working with for a while and she's a young mother and um, three young kids and uh, has had two rounds of breast cancer and a lot of complications with surgeries, a lot of scar tissue, a lot of chronic pain and, um, and also a, a history, a family history of denial. So everything is fine. Got cancer, it's fine, I'll deal with it. Got cancer again, it's fine, I'll deal with it. Got scar tissue and chronic pain, fine, I'll deal with it. Etc., etc. But, um, you know, at some point, that, that, that habit doesn't really work. And, you know, we, so we started working together because it was really, her life was falling apart, her identity was falling apart, her marriage was falling apart. And... Um, and much of our work has been to work against the denial to just to allow to open to what it's like to feel the pain. She didn't really even feel the pain. It was just, it was kind of a numbness. And so what happens, you know, is these things I've been speaking to, you know, the, the numbness and the pain stayed around because it, it was just kept pushing it at bay. And the more she opened to whether it was the fear or the loss or the grief or the sadness or the physical chronic pain, the more it moved through. You know, we had this one session where she had pain to move into her arm and it was numb and chronic and, um, and she hated it and she didn't want to feel it, didn't want to be with it. And so we were just, just patiently like just, Take a moment, just feel it for a second, come back to something neutral, feel it again. And, and slowly she was able to, you know, in that course of that session to really soften into the pain. And then the next week she calls me and she says, the pain's gone. It left the next day. And I was like, wow, that's a miracle. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. But when we surrender into something, when we stop fighting, often it's the fighting, constriction, reaction, contraction, judgment, all the hatred, that so much solidifies the pain. All right, so that's enough words. <clears throat> so I'm going to uh, have us do a little inquiry uh, in, in groups of two, and then we'll do some practice. If you don't want to do this inquiry with somebody, you can do it with yourself and just reflect quietly. Some of you prefer not to do the inquiry for whatever reason. It's fine. 
but generally the inquiry has more power if you do it with someone else because you have someone's presence and it requires a little vulnerability maybe because we're going to explore these topics um, just for a few minutes just to bring just to bring some reflection and so the the, the, the questions will be similar to the ones I just asked which is um, you know, again they're all variations on a theme you know, what in your life, what in your experience is hard to turn towards? What in your life, what in your experience is turn, hard to turn towards? What do you run away from in yourself? Another way of framing that, where, it, where in yourself, in your experience, in your life is need, needing of loving presence from you? Okay. So what do you turn away from and what is requiring loving presence in yourself. So how we'll do that, we'll just just turn to someone, maybe you came with a friend or a loved one or family member and um, or it's a complete stranger. Um, and um, so how this works, so listen to the instructions, listen to the instructions, wait a minute. So we'll do this in a very structured way. So one of you will be partner A, and that will be the person with the longest hair. And um, so partner A will just share for a few minutes, two or three minutes, just you know, where do you turn away from yourself? Where is love more needed uh, towards yourself or some aspect of your experience? Partner B simply listens, doesn't interrupt, doesn't give their... F- you know, advice, oh, well, you should do this and that, or I've got that one too, let me tell you about what happened to me. No, you just listen, and then I'll ring a bell after three minutes, and then partner B will get to share, answer these questions, where do you turn away from yourself, where is love needed, and partner A will simply listen. I'll ring a bell, I'll have a couple of minutes of discussion, and then we'll come back, and then we'll do some meditation. Any questions about that? Anybody need a partner? Raise your hand if you need a partner. Someone, so raise your hands, look around. Partner up, someone behind you. Raise your hands, anybody need a partner? Someone down here? Someone down here. Raise your hands, a lady at the back. Anybody else need a partner? Anybody else need a partner? Someone at the back? So either join a group of two or solo practice. Okay, off you go, partner A.
Did you hear the instructions? No, I didn't. So we're just doing an inquiry around these questions. Okay. Basically, where do you turn away from yourself? Where in yourself needs more love? Okay. And you can either do it on your own, or there's a woman back there who would do it in a dyad, either way. Okay. Excuse me. Okay, partner A, bringing your conversation to a close. Partner B, same question. Where do you turn away from yourself? Where is love needed? What's hard to be within yourself? Okay, partner B. Partner A simply listens. Leaving already? Oh, no, not at all. Oh. I just we finished quickly. But I have, I, you helped me so much about eight years ago. Oh. Came, it was at night and oh. I had a room by myself and I was just consoled. Oh. And um, since then, I, a lot's happened. I was oh. given a fellowship to, oh, yeah. for a doctor and I just oh, wow. thank you for the poetry that you're oh. reading. So I wanted to give Is this you? Yeah, oh, beautiful. as part of Madonna. Wow. Her, um, Spirit Rock is thanked in the back. Oh, beautiful. Because a lot of the poems were um, inspired. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so cool. Are you, where, and do you, where do you live? Are you local? I'm in Culver City, but I think I'll probably be moving at some point soon. Oh, yeah. That's great. Uh, also, too, um, this book will help a lot in making a course in eco-poetics. Oh. Ooh, I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, yeah, 
I would yeah. like to, um, I think I'm on your mailing list. So is your, is your, uh, uh, yeah, if you just, I have a website. Okay. Yes. So I can contact you through that? Yeah, because. Eco-poetic, sounds I great. Because I, you know, I integrate a lot of, I do a lot of nature work and yes, poetry in nature. Exactly. Right, right. Okay, beautiful. Thank All right. You so much. Well, let's be in touch. And, and you can get me through, um, let me see, I'm sure. Uh, so if you go, it's I'm at info at markcolman.org. Uh, right, so info at Mark, if you'll figure that out. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, great. Yeah, All right. That's oh, sweet, sweet, nice. Well, nice to see you again. Thank you. Oh, okay, you're going, I see. All right. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations for the prize. Yeah, it's great. So just taking one or two minutes just to discuss what was that like? What was it like to share that, um, both share and, you know, which is quite vulnerable and also to listen to someone else's, you know, maybe there's similarities, overlaps. Usually we share quite similar ways that we both turn towards and away from ourselves. So just another minute or two debriefing that amongst yourselves. Question? No, there. I'm not sure. Do you want her to share? Okay. 
she thought to share with the group, but you meant for them to share individually. Okay. Individually. <laughs> individually. <laughs> Wrapping up your conversations, coming back to your seats, thanking your partner. So, any comments about that before we meditate? Did that bring up anything? Better than you thought it was going to be. What did you think it was going to be? <laughs> Terrible? <laughs> uh, yes, please. I really appreciate these types of exercises because it allows us to be able to really have our voice heard as mm -hmm. we're experiencing the somatic qualities inside of ourselves, that there's this growing love and kindness right. that you give to your ears and hearing someone's story, mm -hmm. and then even being able to have your voice heard that you can see through their eyes and taking in your, your soul, mm -hmm. that it helps this amazing bond to be created mm -hmm. as the human experience. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and feeling the shared experience also, yeah, nice, yeah. Yeah, and there's one thing to think these things, another thing to articulate them, and it brings it more into relief. Yeah, yeah. Other comments? Yes? Um, I appreciate the aspect that you told us to just listen the entire time. Because mm. um, it's really interesting. Typically when you share vulnerable things, there are expectations sort of on the receiving end and the giving end. Are they going to give me advice? Right. Or should I be giving advice? Right. And there was something so wonderful that you could just sit and speak for three minutes and sit and just smile and listen for right. three minutes. Pretty wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a new, it's pretty rare. Yeah. It's not the only form. I mean, there's plenty of other forms where we could have more engaged conversation and, and whatnot. But there's something very lovely and refreshing about just having the floor and knowing that someone's not going to interrupt or give unsolicited advice, which is usually what happens, <laughs> and um, or starts problem solving or saying something like, well, that's weird. Why would you feel that? <laughs> you know, which is, you know, yeah, happens a lot. So, um, you know, a friend of mine, 
So, so I do this consulting work in companies and a friend of my colleague of mine, she has this great line. She says, when someone asks her, hey, can, I, I really want to talk to you about something, she asks them, well, how do you want me to listen? It's a great line. And this could save marriages. I mean, <laughs> a lot of marriages. Do you want me just, is this just a data dump? Are you venting? Do you want me to give advice? Do you want me to problem solve? Do you want me to, you know, there's many ways to listen, right? And we just assume, you know, while they want it to be fixed or they want it to be solved or they want it to be, you know, something. And we, unless we ask, we don't know. Mostly people just want to be heard. And particularly in intimate relationship. Um, more so. You know, we're often just sharing information. You know, how was your day at work? Well, it was horrible. Let me tell you the ways, but I don't want you to tell me how to fix it. Yeah, so great one-liner advice that's really helpful. Anything else? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, I was able to churn pretty well with what I shared. And, um, and I think it was probably the... Um, had similar impact for me or will over time as the, that one single footstep that your student or friend took in the retreat that she thought was worth the whole time. Mm. But it didn't feel as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to feel good, but it's, it's the step in the right direction. Good. Great. Anything else? Please, in the front here. In the... I, had a, I had an experience that other people might have shared that my father had, which is um, I wrote down the questions and immediately something came up and I thought, oh, it can't be that. And I kept thinking, and it kept getting bigger, and I thought, no, it can't be that. That'll be a silly thing to share. And, uh, of course, it was the thing I needed to share and actually fairly profound for me, but it reminded me of my father who woke up in the middle of the night once and Googled, what could these symptoms be besides a heart attack? (laughs) He was in, so it's genetic, that kind of denial. (laughs) He did okay, but it was a heart attack. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. Of, it's the, the very things that are pressing. We go, no, 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 that's not, that's, that's not important, or I couldn't possibly share that or be that. Right? It's often the very thing that's usually we're so familiar with, it's sort of in our face. Yeah. Or we think it's not a big deal. Oh, it's just feeling deficient and lonely. What's who cares about you know, Everybody feels that, don't they? Maybe, but it's worth getting to know if that's the case, you know. Yeah. Please, at the front here. I had a very good conversation uh, with my partner, and basically, we kind of came to the realization that oftentimes we look for validation or from others or say we are going through some pain, some difficulty, you always feel that, oh, if my partner were more understanding or if my boss were more understanding, you know, this would just be fixed. 
and we look for that fix to come externally mm-hmm. instead of internally starting to acknowledge and right. work towards them. Right, right. Yeah, so looking for, yeah. Yeah, I think the first place we look is outside. Our partners, our friends, uh, yeah. And, you know, there's only so much they can do. Yeah, yeah. Good to see. Yeah, I think that's one of the main stresses in relationship is expecting our partners to do the work that we don't want to do. You know, we can't do or we find hard to do. And then we get mad when they can't meet us, but, you know, it's because we haven't learned to meet ourselves. You know, Byron Katie's work, are you familiar with Byron Katie's work? You know, she's always telling people, turn it around. I'm mad with my partner because they don't give me enough attention. I'm mad with myself because I don't give myself enough attention. Usually more accurate. Yeah. Yes, please. Mike. So I can um, imagine, and I kind of felt that, is you can be blind to what you're turning your, uh, away from mm-hmm. within yourself, or you can be blind to what, what are some places where you can turn compassion towards yourself. So are there particular clues that <laughs> might uh, tell us where to look? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean it's hard if it if it's a if it's a blind spot. It's a blind spot, you know. And usually it requires other people around us to go, you know, you're really hard on yourself. Or you really, you know, you know, it, it often it's taking the cues from somebody else. You know, you're sharing something, they're like, you know, with a look of abject horror. And you're like, Oh, no big deal, you know, it happens every day. <laughs> um so yeah, I'm sure there's other ways, but I think often it's in it's in relationship and reflection from others. Um, yeah. All right, let's do some sitting together. You know, sometimes it comes out in the dream life, you know, the unconscious. You know, we have a lot of fear dreams or anxiety dreams or another clue. Let's just take a moment to uh, close our eyes, turn gaze within, just feeling what's here. Taking a few deeper breaths, feeling the center of your chest, your heart area.
Just sensing what's here. What are you feeling after having shared some things about ways you turn towards, the ways that you turn away? And so I'm going to just guide us in a practice where we scan through layers of our experience and inviting you to meet those with kindness, appreciation, or gratitude. I'll start just by Sensing our body and sweeping our attention through. So I'll guide us attention through different parts of the body. And as you move through the body to see if you can both be present to how you meet that experience and also to orient with kind attention. So starting with your head, the crown of your head, and moving down the front of your head, your forehead, your eyebrows, your eyes. Allowing the muscles to be at ease. Appreciating these eyes that allow you these windows to the world. Sensing your nose, your nostrils, feeling the air moving in and out. Your nose being the gateway to fragrance, to scents the forest, the flowers, night-blooming jasmine, and the salty air of the sea, and your facial muscles, cheeks, the lines from your smile. Just sitting with a half-smile, noticing what that does to your face your mouth, doorway to speech, to voice, to sound, to song, to taste. to sound, to birdsong and wind, music and voice. 
appreciating these sense organs, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, tongue, and the sense organ of skin that allows you to know touch, Warmth, coolness. Where have your brain, this hundred billion celled, amazing biochemistry of thought and imagination and wonder? imagery, consciousness, where of your neck, your throat, any tension there with kindness, neck that holds your head that allows you to move and rotate, look around, and becoming aware of your arms, your left arm. Upper arm, the lower arm, muscles and bones and flesh. Fingers, thumb, left hand, allow you to touch and type. Caress and eat and move through the world. Sensitive fingers. Same with the right hand, the right fingers. Amazing fields of sensitivity. Allow you to play music and create art, sports, stroke the dog. And we have the right arm, the forearm, the upper arm, the muscles, bones. Appreciating these arms, flesh and bone, that allow us to do so much in this life. 
including scratching our itches. Anywhere of your torso, your rib cage, holding your lungs, sensing the breathing, lungs expanding, contracting, the diaphragm lifting and moving, allowing this breath of life. your abdomen, your belly, all the organs, digesting and processing, regulating nervous system, metabolism. Appreciating your body, its organs, Holding that with love, with gratitude. <clears throat> Where have you back? Your spine. ribcage, and all that the spine allows you to do, to move and twist and bend. So we have the muscles, the bones, sensing your upper back, shoulder blades, your middle back, your lower back, sacrum. And appreciation for all that your body does, the muscles, the bones, the blood flow, kidneys processing. Down into your sit bones, your hips. And 
into your legs, feeling the muscle mass of the thighs. the knees, where the coughs and the shins, ankles, all the bones in the feet, the toes, fascia and muscles, sensing the legs but also appreciating this. Legs allow us to move and stand and walk and run and ride and dance. Sensing your body as a whole. Just noticing where feels alive for you, where it's hard to connect with, where you can open to the body with love, and where you feel numb or some judgment or some resistance to feeling and opening to your body places that you reject judge Sensing your heart. And again, just attuning to whatever feeling may be present. Might be subtle, like quiet or calm or peace or ease, stillness. Holding your heart and all of the emotional realms that you move through in your life, holding yourself 
in your heart with kindness. Appreciation, gratitude. And also aware of your mind, with its thoughts, its terrains of moods, states of mind, reactions, judgments. Can you bring a kind attention to the mind and all of its thoughts and stories? For the remainder of the sitting, continuing with that practice that we did earlier of choiceless awareness and being present to your moment-to-moment experience, sensations, sounds, breath, body, feelings, thoughts. Meeting that with a kind, curious attention.
So we're going to do a little more walking practice, but this time with more open awareness, and I'm going to invite you to um, to really include nature as part of that. I'm going to read something for, again from Mary Oliver. It's called Messenger. She says, My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Are my boots old? Is my Is my coat torn and am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly learning to stand still. This is learning to stand still and be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture. My work, which is rejoicing, since mostly all the ingredients are here. And my work, which is gratitude, to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren and everything else. So as you walk, so there's different ways to walk. So on my nature retreats, which I do a lot of, um, one of the practices we do, rather than walk up and down, is I have people do meandering walk which is kind of what we do when we're outside on our own anyway. You're kind of in a forest, and you're just sort of meandering around. You see this big tree over there, and then you walk down by the creek, and then you walk up this hill, and then you see some flowers. And So um, the, the, the idea is you let your body do the walking and deciding. Rather than go, oh, I'm going to get to this ridge, and then I'm going to go see that tree. You know, you just start walking. And you might walk up and down, and that's fine if you want to just keep doing that. But you might do that, and then you decide you want to walk into the sun. So you walk in the sun, you stop a minute, you feel the sun on your face, you let yourself feel the delight of that, and then you walk into the shade because you're getting too hot, and you notice the, I don't know, the forget-me-nots are still blooming, so you look at the forget-me-nots, and then, and then you hear some bird songs, so you pause and you listen to the birds for a while, and then you, and then you decide to take your shoes off and you're walking in the grass, where there's no ticks, and then you keep walking, and uh, and then you know, on it goes like that. So, <laughs> um, you know, staying mostly in your body again, but really be in your senses: seeing, hearing, sensing, smelling, touching, and um, so we'll walk for a little bit. Um, I am aware that there's quite a few of you doing C. Ease, continuing ed units. So um, I'll meet with all of you who wish to uh, right now and everybody else can leave and then we'll just answer a few questions about applications and then we'll come back for a little more sitting and I'll wrap up for the day. Okay, enjoy your walking. Thanks. Ah, good question. Um, Three, three forty. You ringing the bell? So ring the bell 335. 335. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, so if anybody who's doing continuing ed units wants to just come to the front for a few minutes and any questions you have about clinical applications. That is another workshop. Yeah. Um, no, 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 I'm not, it doesn't have to be specific, I'm just, um, I just want to give a little 
time for anything that might be coming up for you in relationship to this and your work. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Any questions? I work at Kaiser. Sometimes the pace there can be very...
So I just had a request for questions. So if um, one of our mic runners can grab the mic. And the front here, in the second row, gray, hey, gray top. So I just wondered if um, with what is going on in the world, um, in our country, and the deep divisions, if you have any thoughts about... Uh, how to address that in hmm. our lives? Yeah. Instead of feeding into it. Instead of what? Feeding into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, how long you got? <laughs> what? <laughs> this too. This too shall pass. You know. It might be four years, it might be eight years, but this too shall pass. And it's true, it will. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's, you know, I talk to my friends who've, you know, I've only lived in this country since the mid-90s, so, you know, but, you know, friends of mine who were politically active in the 60s and the 70s, and through Nixon and through, you know, other challenging eras, um, depending on which side of the political spectrum you're on. But um, so there's a, I, I appreciate talking to them, seeing the vantage point of history and the swings and the ups and the downs. And, um, you know, I think whichever era we're in, it always feels like the worst. And you know, it could be, you know, it's, history will tell, you know, uh, that. Um, you know, we had a lot of discussions here at Spirit Rock um, following the election because it was caused a lot of uh, tremendous uh, anxiety for people. And um, and as a teaching body and as a teaching, as a community, the insight meditation community, the Buddhist teacher community in general has become more vocal and politically active because well, it's sort of long historical conditions, but the seeing the need to uh, make our practice and our teaching, and these teachings relevant for what's happening uh, socially, politically, ecologically, racially, environmentally. Um, so... Um, Uh, you know, there's a lot to say. I don't really know where to start, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I I tend to focus more on what's happening ecologically because being a nature lover, that's that's most pressing for me. It's not the issue that's pressing for other people, but um, I feel like that's going to be create the longest, the longer term most destructive, you know, what this administration is hell-bent on doing is repealing every regulation to open the national parks and nature for business. And that's going to have a lot of negative consequences, um, including, you know, ignoring the reality of climate change and, you know, our grandchildren will deal with the consequences of that more than we will. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it, 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 I think we have to feel, we have, we have to open our eyes, be aware of what's happening. We have to feel what we're feeling, 
And that's a, a range of things from horror to sadness to rage to despair to hopelessness. There's a lot of different feelings can arise. You know, some people might be very happy that, that everything is being deregulated and um, you know, business is booming. So there's, you know, there's different perspectives in the room. Um, and um, you know, I think so. Uh, you know, I'm trying to pack in a lot into five minutes. So we have to. Um, um, you know, for myself as as a, as an environmentalist, I ha- I have to be mindful of. Uh, being sustainable in my own being, right? So what allows me to sustain my well-being in the, given the, the, the onslaught against nature requires me to go spend a lot of time in the woods. That's one of my responses, as is wanting to support environmental activists with my work, because that's, that's the best activism I can do as well as donating money and, you know, calling my state reps and all of that. So I think, um, you know, as Joanna Macy would say, who's a dear friend and um, activist, she would say the most important thing to do in, in, in turbulent times is to get engaged. Because if you don't, if you're not engaged, then you feel alone and, and hopeless and much more likely to feel helpless and paralyzed. And so important to, 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 to find, find your people and engage, how, whatever that is, socially, politically, financially, um, you know, and we've got a very important election coming up. And, um, you know, I think it behooves all of us who are conscious to get engaged in some way. If you care about what's happening to, you know, democracy and the environment and to the, just, distressing environment, uh, immigration situation and, and, and everything else. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's important from a Dharma point of view to not polarize, to look at actions, not people, right? to judge the actions, not the person, to not create more hatred and anger, to not put more fuel on the fire, Right um, to reach out across the divide, whichever side of the spectrum you're on, um, and to and to ask, you know, what what is a compassionate way to act in these times, you know? And, um, so, yeah, there's some thoughts, um, but I think it's important that we find our constituency and uh, and and the people within our constituency and we and we we engage in that way you know i think um i learned when uh, during the last yeah during the last election um i didn't get in i i was so i was with a friend who's a teacher and he got very involved in certain communities and 350.org and things like that and i chose not to for various reasons and i felt the impact of not having engaged collectively with a group you know we can do plenty on one's own but if you're alone it's isolating and it's much more easy to feel hopeless and then i think it's also you know the question of balance like balance with what one takes in media wise there's a lot of 
crap out there. There's a lot of um, sensationalism, and uh, I don't think it, you know. There, I don't think it's it's sustainable to to stay, you know, up on every tweet about every tweet that's happening, right? It doesn't. It, you know, if if the net effect of you listening to KPFA evening news for the first half an hour at six o'clock is to feel depressed, it may not be that effective to do that. You know, I think it's we need to be balanced about how much we stay informed and versus feeling overwhelmed, negative and paralyzed and hateful. You know, it doesn't serve anybody. So I'm very mindful about where I take my news from. And um you know, what I'm what I'm spreading through reposting things, you know. Um and um, you know, holding our representatives accountable, you know, for what we care about is important. So, you know, and there's there's organizations like Buddhist Peace Fellowship, which you know, if you if you're wanting uh, to look for some leadership around from a Buddhist value point of view, Buddhist Peace Fellowship is a really good source. Uh, around environmental issues, One Earth Sangha is a really good organization. They have a training called the Eco Sattva Training, which is really how to engage as a practitioner given the ecological crisis we're living under. Um, there's many, many other good organizations, but there are two that jump out. So, you know, because ultimately these practices have to manifest in the world with compassion right? and so I you know you know and I speak about these things as I when I teach which I do in my talks and stuff on you know, Monday nights you know I I don't get into partisan policy partisan politics in this role because it's not appropriate but I do speak to what I think is going to cause suffering you know and there's many actions in this and past administrations that are causing tremendous suffering, particularly around immigration, particularly around the environment, and other things. Um, and um, I think it's important that we, you know, respond in some way if, the, if that if that's what's you know touching us. But to do so uh, collectively is is helpful for one's own sanity. You know, and I I. I, you know, as much as you know, the horrible things that are happening in nature, I, I also go out and still, you know, enjoy the beauty, enjoy summer, enjoy spring in the mountains, because it's still there. You know, it might be besieged, but it's still there to be appreciated and nourished. So. And then I cry a lot. And I weep at what's happening to the earth. And I let that grief inform my action, you know. So it's important to feel too and not go numb. The worst thing we can do is to go numb. Because that doesn't help anybody, including ourselves or the planet or people who are in distress. So, thanks for the question. Yes, please. Can you say the names of those two groups again? Yeah, the Buddhist Peace 
fellowship and one earth sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. Yeah. And then there's a thing called the Buddhist Action, Buddhist Action Network. Not quite sure how current they are these days, but um, yeah, please. Um, you touched upon this, but can you say a little bit more about anger? I, I notice that I'm feeling angrier these days and finding myself yelling at the TV, which is not typical for me. And I know it's, you know, not very productive, but I know it's a huge topic, but when anger arises in myself, mm-hmm. in many of us, I think especially more these days, mm-hmm. yeah. what, what, what to do with it so that it's not turning against ourselves or on others, even DT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, anger is a, is a indicator and, you know, it's an energy and it can be put to good use. You know, we don't want to be acting out of anger, but the anger is energy that, that's coming from a sense of outrage or injustice or, you know, compassion. And, um, you, you know, I think it's, it's energy that wants to be channeled. Right? I think we, we live in a democracy that's mostly very passive and the, um, the, the channels for engagement you know, require some, some, some thought and some, um, you know, some reflection about how, it, rather than just watching the news and feeling mad, you know, what, can, what, is wanting, what can you do about that in your own small way that would, that would move some of that energy I think is really important whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. And, um, you know, don't watch as much news, you know, because it's infuriating mostly, you know. Stay informed, but we don't need to watch it for two hours a day, which, you know, and it's very compulsive in its addictive quality, you know, and it's part of the whole cycle. Yeah, so I would just reflect on how to, why, where does that, energy that the anger is want to express itself aside from hitting somebody <laughs> there was a hand over there yes I really appreciate what you said about um, softening into our pain and welcoming um, pain and struggle um, I'm currently the caregiver for my father um, through um, his terminal pancreatic cancer, mm. and so I'd like to know what you, what words you may have on maybe principle or practice to engage with the pain of our loved ones in that same way. Mm. So is the question around how to hold them with that loving presence? What's the or the challenge of not feeling that when you're with them? I think what resonated with me was the um, aspect of the surrender that comes when you stop battling mm. and fighting against the pain, and I can, mm. I can 
accept maybe is the wrong word, but I, I can accept that concept and that challenge for myself. It seems mm-hmm. greater mm-hmm. Um, when it's when it belongs to someone that we love. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's painful for yourself to see them suffering. It's painful for them. And, um, you know, especially if someone's fighting it, or struggling it, or hating it, or judging it, or... Um, you know, but the practice, the principle is the same. Can I surrender to this? Whether it's my love for them or sitting with their, whatever their stuff is, their anger or their, their injustice or, um, you know, the, 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 the equanimity phrase is, you know, this is how it is. Things are as they are. And so having some phrase that helps you speak to um, the equanimity of this is how it is. You know, someone's dying that you love and they may have a very, you know, well, of course a mixed relationship to that. Um, but it's also loving the place that you can't, where you can't meet that. So, you know, where you have fear or contraction or feeling drained or, you know, I don't know, without knowing much more detail about your situation, but, um, you know, it's a softening into how it is, however it is, right? It never looks like how we think it will look. We have all these ideals about, you know, how people should die, you know, conscious dying and all that stuff. And, you know, it sounds nice until you're actually in the midst of it and then it's hard, it's messy, it's painful, it's everything, you know, beautiful and hard. And um, I think removing any idea of how it should be would probably be, you know, one act of love that would really help everybody. Um, And just keep softening into how it is, however it is, which is, of course, that's easy for me to say. It's hard to do, but, but, you know, all the ways that we want it to be different, wish it to be different, try to make it different, rather than just, this is how it is. This is how he is. This is how I am in the midst of it. Can I be kind with that? Is that, is that speaking to your question? Yeah. yeah. And acknowledging the suffering of it, right? He's suffering, you're suffering, the whole thing is suffering, right? Just the, it's, the, it's the acknowledging the suffering which, which, you know, allows the heart to come forward. And just acknowledging this is, this is hard, this is painful. It's not easy. And... And here we are. May I meet this with as much love as I can, including when I can't, including when I need space, including when I need to take a break, including when you know you feel angry or frustrated or unseen. Or, you know, I wish you well.
So I'm going to read a poem, and then we'll do a little sit. This is a poem from Marie Howe, beautiful poet. She's writing to her brother who died of AIDS when he was 28. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes are piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again, the skies are deep blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room window because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street and the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and later, as I parked and slammed the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. So I like that poem because it speaks to the mess of life. You know, spilling our coffee and the crusty dishes and the draino doesn't work and no, 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 no. And yet in that, in that, that I'd say the ability to show up and to meet what is, right? She catches a glimpse of herself in a window reflection and the, the, the heart pours forward. She says, I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my unbuttoned coat, my ruffled hair. Right? That that's the nature of the heart is loving. Right? And so, so the challenge, whether, whether it's with someone you love dying or dealing with the, the craziness of what's happening politically or, or whatever situation you're in, and we meet it with kindness, with a deep breath, with, okay, this too, this too, this too. Can I love this? Can I meet this? Maybe I can't love it, but I can accept it. All right, so let's do a short practice before we close. We'll do a little loving kindness practice, which is a practice of intention using phrases for those of you who haven't done it. So closing your eyes, sensing your heart, maybe putting a hand on your heart area and your chest, feeling your breath there, feeling that 
living, breathing life. And taking some moments just to feel the heart, what's present, tender, open, closed, allowing the heart to be as it is. And calling to mind someone you love, someone who's easy for you to feel kindness and warmth for, maybe a child, a loved one, grandparent, teacher, could be your cat, the being that most easily evokes a sense of love, warmth. Feeling that warmth in your heart, sensing their goodness, their wish to be happy, and offering phrases of loving kindness. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe from harm. May you live with ease. Keeping them in your heart and your mind's eye. Feel happy. May you feel healthy. May you feel safe. Live with ease. And whatever other words come to your wishes for this person. Now call to mind someone, either a friend or a loved one, someone who's suffering right now, someone who's in pain, struggling in some way, physically, emotionally, relationally. Feeling them, feeling their pain. I wish to be happy. Extending the same wish to them. Even the painful, difficult circumstances you're in, may you find happiness, whatever that will look like for you in this situation. May you feel happy. May you feel healthy or as healthy as you're able to be. Be safe from harm. May you live with ease. Holding them dearly in your heart, 
as you wish these phrases of kindness, may you be happy. Be healthy. May you be safe. Live with ease. Same way, calling to mind yourself, sensing your own goodness, appreciating the efforts today. In the same way that you wished kindness for your loved one, friend, extending that same warmth to yourself. May I too feel happy in this moment. May I be healthy. May I feel safe. May I live with ease. Letting these words drop like pebbles into a pond rippling through your body. May I feel happy. May I be happy. May I be healthy, or as healthy as I'm able to be. May I feel safe. Live with ease. May I love and accept myself just as I am. And extending this same wish to everybody here in the room, those you know, those you don't know. May everyone here be safe. healthy, be happy, and live with ease, extending this outwards in all directions, all the beings of this land, all creatures everywhere, all peoples everywhere, all beings, all life, life. Be happy, be healthy, safe from harm, live with ease and peace. I'll close with this poem. If you would grow to your best self, Be patient, not demanding. Accepting, not condemning. Nurturing, not withholding. Self-marveling, not belittling. Gently guiding, not pushing and punishing. For you are more sensitive than you know, 
mankind is tough as war yet delicate as flowers, opening only to warmth and light. And our need to grow is fragile as a fragrance, dispersed by storms of will, returning when storms are still. So accept and respect, attend your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. The end of our day flies by. <laughs> flies by for me. I don't know for you. Maybe drag on. I don't know. <laughs> it's like thank you. Oh. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna close with this uh, short piece. Um, I'm not sure where this is from, but I came across it. Um, a wise woman elder was asked once how what she used to make her complexion so beautiful and her being so bright. And she answered, I use for my lips truth. I use for my voice kindness. I use for my ears compassion. I use for my hands charity. I use for my figure uprightness. I use for my heart love. And I use for any who do not like me prayer. (laughs) So that's your practice. (laughs) So very lovely being with you today. I uh, wish it was longer because it feels like we're just scratching the surface, but here we are, you know. But good to drop in for a day and drop in, tune in, drop out, and all of that. So um, please come back if this is your first time here. I will be teaching, as Romy said, on the 6th, a couple of weeks, and then leading a nature retreat uh, the end of the month of September. Forget exactly what day that is, but it's beautiful. We we walk up into the hills of Spirit Rock and do a day of nature practice. Very beautiful. So I have a whole schedule of meditation retreats uh, in the wilderness. Um, I have some cards in the back about one of them. I lead these kayaking meditation retreats in Baja every March. I got two these days. Beautiful silent immersions into the wild Baja wilderness. Um, but I lead other retreats in New Mexico, Colorado, California. I'm doing one here next year up in the hills. So um, love to see you on somewhere else that I'm teaching. Uh, my main website is markcoleman.org and has all my stuff, books and teachings and all of that. And um, I do have a couple of trainings that I'm just launching. One is a mindfulness teacher training. I have some cards about it for those of you who have some practice experience um, training people how to teach mindfulness um, and it takes place over a year for four-day weekends in Berkeley. It's a wonderful training. I just graduated some folks in England and um, so uh, pick up a card and drop us an email. I also have a nature meditation teacher training. I'm training people how to facilitate my uh, Awake in the Wild, meditation work. And again, if you're a nature lover and practitioner, you might be curious about that. That's 
Um, the next module is in September also. So, um, but other than that, lovely to meet you and practice with you. Thank you for your presence. I wish you well. And may all beings be happy. Thank you. I'm going to exit very quickly because I have to rush to the airport to catch a flight to Canada. So excuse my lack of um, not hanging around like I normally do. So if you have questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.